1: Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. It's coming Thursday morning, November 10th. And this episode today is going to be just a preview of the Wolves Grizzlies game in Memphis. It's late on Friday night, 830 tip. We're going to focus in more on this game for a few reasons. One, uh, my friend Chris Harrington, who covers the Grizzlies for the Daily Memphian, uh, wanted to do it. So I think he's, I think he's kind of like a, a perfect person to talk to in that he really closely. You know, followed the the Wolves Grizzlies series last year and you can just kind of tell when he talks that he knows what's going on with the wolves as well. but we're also gotta got kind of focus in on this game right now because it's we're at this point where it's it's kind of of urgent this game is of urgent importance to the wolves the you know the players know that I, I think they're gonna be turned up for it or you know that's at least. Uh, the message that Anthony Edwards was kind of giving after the game, after the Wolves lost to Phoenix on Wednesday, here's Ant.
2: Yeah, it's no more time and trying to be – the time is now. we got to get it going. Um, I think we'll turn it around in Memphis for sure. Yeah, I think Memphis will bring it out of us. Why would that? Be? I mean, just because the, um, the, the heated matchup, you know, uh, us versus them last year in the playoffs, I think they'll bring it out of us.
1: So we will see what Memphis does bring out of them, and we'll get into all that with Chris about what it might look like on the floor. If you are looking for a recap of the Wolves' loss to the Suns on Wednesday night or just your weekly Britt Robson fix, I'm recording that with Britt in a few hours. He's writing a a column this morning. We're going to talk about that uh, once he he finishes that up. So that'll be also in your show feed late afternoon on, on Thursday. But again, this episode... We'll be with Chris Harrington from the Daily Memphian. And honestly, Chris is like, he's kind of like Tennessee Brit. He's a longtime columnist on the Grizzlies. He's actually been on the show a few times in the past. You probably, some of you might recognize him. Just also as a heads up, uh, the format of the episode is going to be a little bit different because this is actually um, the audio of me appearing on Chris's show. So he's kind of more the host in that I'm just bringing the audio over to my feed because I thought some of you would like a uh you know a Wolves Grizzlies preview as well. You might remember me doing this type of thing with a couple other team specific writers uh over the years it yeah makes for a different rhythm but I think it gives some outside perspective too which I think is good for me probably good for all of us right now to kind of step outside of the the Wolves fishbowl and yeah just talk about talk about this team in maybe a little bit more of a bigger picture way Um, to, yeah, to think about them differently than than just kind of the way I've been hammered at home episode after episode. So just wanted to jump on here quick before I play you my conversation with Chris to know, let you know that this episode will have a little bit of a different rhythm. Hope you enjoy it. And I'll talk to you all later this afternoon with Britt. Today's episode is brought to you by 20 by 20 Solutions, a Minneapolis-based technology consulting company that works with your business to help you build and sustain success. A great front office puts together a winning team with a coach who can put together a winning strategy. When leadership does its job and it all comes together, that means success. Success in business isn't any different. Business leaders need to find the right mix of technology, strategy, and talent to make things really work. And that's never been truer for growing companies. 20 by 20's team has helped grow companies from thousands of customers to tens of millions by helping businesses across a wide range of industries from consumer technology and healthcare to manufacturing and even human spaceflight. Reach out to Clark and Ben, who are Wolves fans and fans of this show, by emailing them at team at 20x20solutions.com. That's T-E-A-M at 20x20solutions.com. And their team will review your needs and help you put together a plan before you need to make any commitments. 20 by 20 solutions, technology, workflow, architecture, strategy. They're your sixth man on a winning team. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, I'm excited. We're, we're back. We, we saw each other a a bunch during uh, the playoffs last year, and now everything's different, but it's it's still these same two teams. How are you?
2: I, I'm doing well. So it, was, it was great. I loved having, as some of our regular listeners know, I loved having a Wolves, like finally having a Wolves-Grizzlies um, playoff series. My two teams, my two cities, it was one of the pleasures was getting to meet you and getting to meet some other guys up there, Jace and Chris and some of the other media people I did not already know. Um, uh, The last time these two teams met, the Grizzlies barely survived that first round playoff series. Uh, Since then, they have nibbled around the edges of their roster. Uh, The Wolves have made arguably the boldest move of the offseason. Uh, Things have not gone well so far. I want to start out by, so we we both, both these teams had games last night, which I assume we both watched their respective games. I saw a little bit of the Wolves game, but we both definitely watched. I watched the whole Grizzlies game. I just just finished it. Yeah. Well, we both saw something. And in fact, we both, we both saw both of them, I guess. We both saw something you don't see very often in NBA games. In in the Grizzlies game at San Antonio, there was an entire possession and overtime in which the clock was not running. Dude, that was crazy. That was crazy. And then in the Wolves game, a home loss to the Suns, there was an entire possession in which they played with four defenders for a whole possession. Um, uh, was that moment, I, I hate to, to pick on the Wolves, my other team, uh, the team of my college age, was that was that emblematic of some of the issues they're having, that sort of casualness?
1: I mean, I guess people are going to say that, right? I, it was, okay, let, let, I'll just explain the situation. So so D'Andre Russell is about to check into the game and Chris Finch wants him to sub in for Torian Prince. But Delo's a point guard. Prince is like a, you know, he's like a three four. It's not who he normally checks in for, right? He's normally checking in for a guard. So Jalen Noel, who he normally checks in for, is on the free throw line, right? So he, so Delo thinks he's checking in for the shooter. And uh, so, so Jalen is about, is taking the first shot. And while that's happening, Torian walks to the bench and sits down. Delo's sitting there waiting, assuming he's checking in, you know, the next whistle for, for Jalen Noel because he didn't see Prince go by. You know, Noel makes the free throw and the the you know the, they start going down the other way and I'm seeing it right away. I'm like, what? Delos at the table, man. There's only four guys out here on the floor. So, I mean, yes, is it emblematic of the Wolves not executing and all this stuff? Sure. I do think there's like a fragment of that being um, an honest mistake, but still at the end of the day, like unacceptable. Yeah,
2: no, I mean, they hit a three. It was bad. I bring it up though because I didn't watch all of that game, but I watched some big chunks of it. And I noticed a phrase I heard multiple times. I watched the wolves feed on League Pass. I heard the Wolves announcers. And a phrase I heard multiple times in that game was dodge the bullet. And it seemed like this sense that they were leaving three point shooters open a lot. Is that is that is that happening or is that just this one game? Yeah. So I
1: mean, Chris, you remember we talked about this a lot during during the playoffs when we were on each other's shows and just, you know, in the media room, was this how the wolves played, and it actually worked really well against Memphis during the regular season, was they just put two on the ball last season, blitz and never pick and roll, right? Like cat cats up at the level, so that basically forces Ja to get the ball out of his hands, and in theory, yeah. right? It's like hit the roller, hit the the open corner three guy. That happened, you know, sometimes
2: where Desmond Bain got hot in a couple of those games. But uh, the Desmond wolves the series for 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 because the wolves did a great job on Ja on Ja Morant. Mm-hmm. Desmond Bain saved the series, for, yeah. for, for the.
1: Right. So that's basically what you're exchanging. You're basically trying to get the ball out of your, you know, dominant ball handler's hands. So it makes sense to do against the Grizzlies. And, you know, Bain is the really the only threat. Like if you can recover out to that, that's fine. So that was the Wolves' whole defensive identity last season. Worked. First time in Carl Anthony Towns' career, the Wolves weren't a bottom 10 defense. They totally changed the way you used them. Well, you know, fast forward, you had Rudy Gobert, like the best drop coverage center in the NBA. And you got to change the way you play defense, right? So so they're playing drop with Rudy all the time, but then they're trying to toggle back and forth with, all right, when Rudy's out of the game, whether he's just resting or he missed a couple of games with COVID, now they're trying to, in those minutes, go back to this aggressive coverage, and man, it's not working. It's like, that is, I think as a player, that's probably really hard to flip the switch of what you're doing, like a really conservative coverage versus an aggressive coverage. And it is just leading to, in that that slow flip switching These just times where shooters are just open all over the place, particularly when they're playing aggressive up in coverage, because I don't know, they just did it all the time last year and they got really good at like executing, closing that space. They're not doing that anymore. And it's just, it's just going to have to be such a different identity when you have Rudy Gobert in there who plays defense a completely different way than Carl Anthony Towns plays best. So yeah, three point shooting, major problem. Defense overall, I think it's been a major problem, even though. The defensive rating suggests they've been okay
2: thus far. Yeah, I was looking at the ratings uh, this morning. So, you know, relative to last season, and, and this is not numbers to numbers, but it's ranking to ranking relative to the rest of the league. So they were 13th defensively last season, 14th as of this morning on NBA.com. So, I mean, that would be disappointing. You had Rudy Gobert and like, you're, not, you're not any better relative to the league. But it's the worse audience, than that,
1: there's... man. It's worse than that. Like, they're, yeah. it, they're not an average defense right now.
2: Well, the offense is where it slipped more relative to last season. They they were top 10 defense offense last season. They were seventh in the NBA last season. They're 19th right now. So my thing with Minnesota is when that trade happened, I, I felt like going into this season, Minnesota was the most difficult team for me in the Western Conference to get a handle on. Which is not to say that I was right about all the other teams I thought I knew better, but I didn't feel like I knew with Minnesota. And, and if it were not, not for Brooklyn, which is like a special case, I would have said they were the most difficult team in the whole NBA to get a handle on. And obviously, the talent level, the high-end talent level was among the best in, in the league. I mean, people noted that when ESPN put out their, their player rank you know, this season, three of the top 25, the only franchise you could say that about with Gilberts. In Towns and Edwards, yep. debatable but totally defensible rankings among those players. At the same time, and, and I I think they have a really good coach and Chris Finch. So you have this high-level talent, you have a good coach, it seems like a good recipe. But what I kept coming back to was when the Grizzlies and Wolves played that series, everyone I talked to on the Minnesota side, including you, but others as well, would all say the same thing. The best way to defend Carl Anthony Towns is with a four. Yep. What really, what really Changed that series from the jump. Really, what what sort of what governed the series? Even though the Grizzlies won, was that Towns played Stephen Adams off the floor in Game One, and the Grizzlies were the team, the higher seed, the home court advantage, but they were the team that had to scramble and adjust through the whole series to try to figure it out. They were chasing Minnesota, even though they won the series in six the whole the whole way. And with that trade, you can tell me how it's worked out, how it hasn't. But the one thing I wondered about was. You're making it easier for teams to do that with Towns. It's easier to guard him with the four when he has to play him with Gobert. I mean, you got somewhere to, to put the five. So it seemed like a hard setup to maximize Towns' offense. And at the same time, I don't know if there is an answer for Towns defensively, but I think I would rather have him in the paint than on the perimeter, I guess, defensively. I don't know. I, th- I think you're sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't on the defensive side. But it seemed like a hard way to maximize Towns specifically offensively. I, I, you know, last night he ended up getting seven shots up. I'm not sure what I didn't watch the whole game. What that was about, but how is how much is the towns fit? I think their issues are beyond the fit issue. But how much is that fit issue gone into their offensive sludge?
1: No, it's it's a good point. And that was true uh, a season ago, where teams just started guarding cat with a, a small four. Actually, the first team to do it, uh, even you know before, well before Memphis did, was Utah. So they didn't put Gobert on Towns, and they would put like Bogdanovich on him. And what they would do is they'd kind of have go bear cheat over and, and double cat in those situations and other teams just started using that blueprint. It was like, it was like the Nicholas Batum's the, the reason I brought it up to you is I was like, yeah. man, Kyle Anderson's perfect for this to be able to, you know, to guard cat. And then you can bring over Jaron Jackson or Adams or whatever for the double. And so that really broke the wolves offense last year was, was forcing that double on Cat and not having the the shooting, but also not having the threat of the other big to be able to punish that. Jared Vanderbilt, for as great as he was, offensive rebounding and energy defensively, all that stuff, he was not an offensive threat really at any level of the floor. So they would just leave him wide open, and that broke the Wolves' offense. What's different now, though, is that teams are not have not shown to be as comfortable completely leaving Gobert to bring that double on the towns. We really saw it through the first like three games of the season and Carl was picking it apart. He was finding Rudy like over and over again. The the person who's assisted on the most Gobert made shots thus far this season is cat. Like he's doing a good job of, of finding Rudy there when that was such a problem last season. But I really do think it's about Rudy being a bigger target. Um, you know, he's, We both know he's not perfect offensively whatsoever, but he can be like this big target at the rim that Carl can, he can throw a lob to, he can just find him there and Rudy can just kind of catch it and dunk it. So that has, that the Wolves have many, many issues this season. That was their biggest issue last season. And somehow that one's gone. It, It really hasn't, it really hasn't been a big deal. There haven't really been many Carl problems this season. I mean, you mentioned last night, it was a bad game, but he picked up three fouls in the first quarter. I mean, that's on him. That's happened in the past too. But for the most part, when he's been out of foul trouble, um, turnovers have not been an issue. They haven't been, teams haven't been able to double him as much. So offensively, I don't think we're seeing major fit issues between the two bigs. Defensively, I think we are um, because they just can't really figure out a coverage. They just find themselves that they, they try different stuff for the first like quarter and a half of every game. And then it's like, all right, let's go zone. You know, it's just kind of waving the white flag of, oh, we'll try switching, we'll try this. Like they just cannot find a defense to be able to execute. And that I think is more about the perimeter players. It's more about not having Jared Vanderbilt and Patrick Beverly to guard on the perimeter. You now have your point of attack defenders, often being D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards, who that is not a strength of theirs. And and so the defense is where really where I see the deterioration. Offensively, they're just not shooting well right now, but I don't see I don't see really like schematic problems outside of making more shots and moving the ball a little bit better offensively, but I wouldn't really say it's a huge cat go bear problem um on the offensive end.
2: Let's get we're going to we're going to come back with with Dane Moore in just a second. We'll we'll get into some of the other issues beyond the bigs. Um we're going to take a break now for a word from our sponsor, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quitgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. So, and so obviously, Dane, you know, they made this big trade and the results have not been what people quite wanted. And so, People are going to fixate on, like, the trade and the fit issues. But it does seem to me, even from a distance, that the issues are beyond that. Um, let's oh, yeah. go start with Edwards, who was amazing in the in the series against, against um, the Grizzlies. A lot of people thought this is the guy who's going to make the leap. The, the, it was already a star, but going to make the superstar leap, much like John Moran a year ago made the superstar leap. You go from a guy who's never made an all-star team, in John Moran's case, to an all-star starter, an all-NBA player top 10 on an MVP ballot. If anyone in the NBA was going to make a similar kind of leap from star to superstar, most people thought Anthony Edwards was probably the, was the most likely player in the league to make that kind of leap. He certainly looked like he was primed for that in the playoffs. He's not, I mean, it's not been bad, but by his standards, by the standards of the, the, the rightful expectations that you would have for him, it has not gone along that, that line. What's going on with him?
1: Yeah, it's not, the leap has not happened. And, and I, I, I was kind of like pumping the brakes on that going into the season because I questioned Ant's ability to really grow as a defender. And I think if and when he does make the leap, it will have to do with, you know, becoming significantly more plugged in, just kind of boosting that basketball IQ on the defensive end that, you know, theoretically comes with time of being an older player in the league. And then also... Probably just some more shooting efficiency, right? A little bit better shot selection, boosting his per, per, per his percentages from two point range. He's never been very good finishing at the rim. He's always been awful from mid range. Uh, really, the the statistical efficiency jump we saw last year was him shooting threes at a higher clip. And what he's doing this year is like his efficiency across the board is about exactly this. Offensively, is about the same as it was um, last season, which again, not bad but not a, a leap would have required boosting each of those percentages a couple points in, in all those different ranges, plus adding defense. I think the percentages, the shooting efficiency will go up a little bit more with time and just kind of feeling out the Gobert addition. But I don't think Anthony Edwards is going to make a defensive leap as a 21-year-old, which is interesting when you bring up Ja, right? Because Ja did make the leap last season without really improving much defensively what no, yeah, what to you very much <laughs> yeah like so so my, my question i just put in my notes before doing this is like how did Ja make that leap as a third-year player without getting better defensively last year what what went into that because that's what the wolves need surrounding
2: him. A- well and well, look to, to a degree that's like a perception question i mean people are are did he make the leap if he wasn't good defensively, right? Yeah. And the team was, you know, 21-4 and four or whatever it was without him on the floor. And, the, you know, he, he, to, some, to some degree that's definitional of what constitutes a leap and what doesn't. He made an offensive leap, which is what, you know, the way people wanted to find that. Mm. Um, he's just so, I mean, I mean, John, John's a point guard, Edwards is a wing. And and so I think he was able to, he inserted started more control not only over the style of play offensively, but also, frankly, in the locker room and just the whole dynamic of the team, Josh sort of controls everything. And, and I just think he got so dynamic as a combo scorer playmaker in a way that, you know, Edwards is one of those two things for the most part. You know, I'm not saying, you know, can't make plays for other people, but he's not John Moran. First of all, he's not a point guard, yeah. but he's not he's not he's not a, like an offensive fulcrum for a whole team in the same way. He's just a different kind of player. Uh, he's also younger than Ja, and so, you know, and, and maybe less mature in some ways than Ja, even beyond the age, and so maybe you factor all that stuff, the positional stuff, and the maturity and the age, maybe it's not it's not a fair comp, you know, year three to year three, I think. I think Ja is just so gifted as an offensive player. There's questions about the shooting, but just his sense, you pair the athleticism with the, sen- the, the sense of place, the sense of control just the feel for the game that he has is so elevated. Um I I think, you know, Edwards, Edwards' path to being a great player, I think, looks slightly different than Ja's. And part of that is I think he could be a better defensive player than Ja. Um and so I, you know, I don't know if expecting the offensive leap for him was quite fair in the same way. Yeah. Um it, 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 as far I think as Jaw has
1: more room, man, to like to I, okay, so I watch I watched the Spurs game last night from the Grizzlies and I watched the Wizards game the on on Sunday. And and this is a theme that I notice, if, and when I, I tune into Grizzlies games that are close is like, Ja has the space to go in the fourth quarter, right? Like the offense goes through him. It, it gets really heliocentric and right. I don't know what really, sorry, go ahead. What were you saying? I said, um, I said sometimes too
2: heliocentric,
1: right? But sometimes it works where it's like, okay, it's so clear. It's going to be Ja here. And then, you know, whether it's like a, it'll, like even when Ja misses, it's like a, it's Steven Adams taps it out and it's like, then Desmond Bain can attack. Or sometimes they get to the second side off of that. And I think that's what's missing in the Wolves with Ant in the fourth quarter is one, they never go heliocentric Ant, which again, arguments both ways, but even when it is Ant in the fourth quarter, in those crunch time situations, it doesn't seem to get to other guys for one reason or another. And when I watch the Grizzlies, it it feels like it does more than that. And I don't know exactly, you know, what goes into that, but it seems like a good move for the Grizzlies to go all Jaw, even though like Wizards game Jaw wasn't shooting well. Um, But it still seemed like the right move for that team. And I think the Wolves are kind of caught in this place of like, what, should we just like give him the keys in the fourth quarter? Or should we still try and be playing with the flow? It's just interesting that what Memphis chooses to do is Ja, jo- and maybe that's just because they have less surround, I mean, they don't have well,
2: a Carl Anthony Towns, right? I think this comparison is interesting, and, and it gets me, I'm going to get, get some deep Wolves history for you on, on this one. Um, This comparison is interesting, and it sort of gets to where I was going to go next, which is, in a lot of ways, sort of harder to talk about, the intangible stuff, because you worry you're going to over, you know, you're overemphasizing things that are sort of harder to grasp, but a, a quote from Flip Saunders, he was the Wolves coach, and I know this because Britt, our mutual yep. friend Britt Robinson, written this several times and deployed this quote but flip sauner's quote when he was the wolves coach was that chemistry is having a pecking order and having players buy into the pecking order oh well it's it's easy to have a pecking order when kevin garnett it was far and away the best player on a team it's frankly easy to have a pecking order with john morant here in memphis and one of the things that i noticed and it, it happened instantly john morant's rookie season Preseason, rookie season, yeah. veterans like Kyle Anderson, who we'll talk about, who's there in Minnesota, Jay Crowder, Jonas Fallon Shooters, no matter who they were, they were all like, That's the guy. We're lining up behind that. He was 19 years old. He'd never played a regular season NBA game. And every one of them to a man, when you talk talking to him in the locker room in preseason, were like, Oh no, that's the dude. It's that dude. Yeah. They- like they recognized it instantly. It- has set up a framework for the whole organization, really going forward. And it seems to me that there's, and I'm from a distance. I'm saying this from a distance, and I, you know, so please correct me if I if I'm off base. But it feels like there's a pecking order, leadership chemistry thing going on with all this too right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, what is the order of the best players on the Timberwolves? I I don't know. Yeah, like, right? I mean, I think we could pull a handful of different people, and it would be you know different orders all the time. I I'm kind of like. I find myself kind of night to night going back and forth between thinking if Rudy Gobert is the best player or Karl-Anthony Towns is. But then some people would, certainly some people would come in and be like, no, it's Ant. He is that dude. And so there just is some more confusion, which should be a good problem, right? For the Wolves, you have like, and the Wolves like have better players than Memphis, but like an overall yeah. talent, but they yeah. are yeah. not a better yeah. team. Yeah. So it, it, it you're right. I, I think that's a really good point. And I think the Flip Saunders quote comes in here where I don't think they know what the pecking order is because it isn't clear. And that's leading to stickiness. That's not, nobody is pointing and saying like, that's the guy. I mean, Carl's kind of like the leader because he's been here the most, but you can't go in the last five minutes of the game and just be like, all right, cat ISO, like you can with Josh, just different positions.
2: Well, that brings up an interesting point, that the tenure aspect, because you have this age aspect, you have a tenure aspect, mm-hmm. and you have a positional aspect, and they all point in t- different directions. Like, Gobert's the oldest and most decorated, and Towns has the most tenure, and Edwards is the on-ball perimeter guy, and in the NBA now, that tends to be what you're organizing in principle of your team. And but So, you look at the three different ways, you get three different answers, and, and and to me, it really puts, to me, it transfers to the coach at that point. And I think Chris Finch is a good coach, but it's a hard job to have to sort all that out when the the, the leadership on the floor, the pecking order is not natural. You got it, it sort of gets to be on you as the coach.
1: Yeah, dude. It's, it's really interesting because what they have, cho- what Chris Finch has chosen early on is offensively to not play the way that Rudy Gobert has played through his entire career in Utah. Like Finch is not a big, I mean, it's an understatement to say that Chris Finch is not a big spread pick and roll guy. He doesn't believe in that. He thinks that kind of like bogs things down just like existentially, right? Like depending on who your personnel is. So you're seeing the Wolves not run a lot of pick and roll, which seems kind of crazy without Rudy Gobert, but it's kind of a, it's a personal affinity thing with Chris Finch. And he believes in this idea of flow and he more wants to, he wants D'Angelo Russell to kind of dictate the action to get things started. He wants to play that delay action a bunch with Kat at the top of the key. So it's just this like super diversified offense, but not effective. And, and what I've been kind of arguing is like, I think the move would have been to start really basic, right? Like be a spread pick and roll team because that's what Rudy knows how to do. And we know Rudy is effective at that. And then add things on top from there. To me, it feels like they, like, rolled all of it out. Like, we're going to do all these different things, and they didn't get good at anything offensively. And it's leading to this just clunkiness is, is the best way I can put it offensively. And and yet, a lot of it does fall on Finch. I And I'm curious to see if and when any sort of major changes will happen. We're 12 games in, same starting lineup, pretty much same style of play uh, through all of this. And so I think they're trying to hold on to this idea of, like, When the playoffs come, we need to play this way, but it's costing them in in the regular season right now by trying to play their theoretically optimized style when they're just not ready to do that. You said 12 games in. Are they five and seven right now? Yeah, five five and seven, but it's like even the five are bad. It's like two wins over OKC, San Antonio, Lakers,
2: you know, it's bad. And the Rockets, right? So I'm looking at this. So, So they're five and seven. The Grizzlies are eight and four. In terms of net rating, they're like side-by-side side right in the middle. The Grizzlies are 15th. The, the Wolves are 16th. Neither team has actually played a particularly difficult schedule early in the season. To me, I'm not super impressed. I think the Grizzlies are in good shape, but I'm not super impressed with the 8-4, given the, the schedule they played. The best win they've had was, I don't know, at Portland, but that was about Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. So they haven't beaten a good team yet, either. Um, but the Wolves, like, really haven't beaten a good team. I mean, you're talking about OKC twice, San Antonio, Houston, Lakers. Um, you know, and they, Chris, they played nine of the 12 games at home. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Okay. And got booed at halftime going out and go, leaving the second quarter last night um, against Phoenix. I did They're getting lunch. booed every night, man. They're getting booed. It's bad. Uh, it is bad. So so just a little bit on the specific matchup. Friday night, ESPN, these two teams playing. Anything you're particularly interested in in terms of this specific game? Yeah. Well,
1: it's, it's interesting. Like Ant said in the locker room, last night he's like you know we got to get out of this funk we got to have this urgency and what he said is he goes i think memphis will bring that out of us and you know i asked him i was like you know why is that and he's he talks about the you know the playoff series last year and the playoff series did bring a lot out of them they are this type of like kind of immature team where and this was a theme well before the playoffs last year where they turned up for games on espn they turned up for when they were playing the war you know like those those type of things so I think they do have the ethos of a team that plays up to their competition or down to their competition. So I think you'll, in theory, see a a dialed in Wolves team for this. But what we've seen in spurts when they have been dialed in is they get punched one time and then it just fizzles. And if there's a team in this league that punches, it's it's Memphis. So like that's what I'm going to be looking at in the first quarter. Right? Is like how do the Wolves respond? To the first piece of adversity, and if I'm Memphis, I'm trying to create that adversity. Like mix it up, draw some fouls. Like try to try and get the Wolves off kilter. Because what's happened again through twelve games is whenever that adversity hits, the Wolves disappear for a quarter. And yeah, I I just I think Memphis can be dangerous in that way.
2: Well, I think Jaw's gonna be hyped up for this game. It's, it's It's on ESPN. He's gonna look up and see Rudy Gobert there. He loves going at Rudy. Hmm. um i think on that challenge he, he dropped 49 on the jazz i think in his second ever playoff game of course oh, the jazz man. beat him at five but he, he liked the idea of like you know let me go try to climb this mountain i'm looking forward to that i really wish jaron jackson jr were back unless he makes a surprise reappearance which i don't think he will i think it's imminent but i don't think it's going to be friday um i really wish he were back for this game i think the in terms of trying to match up with towns, I, you know, no Jaron, no, no slomo, who will be in the other uniform. You know, Santi Aldama, I, I don't think that that's a great that's a great for him mm-hmm. trying to guard, guard Carl Anthony Towns or um, even just so the would,
1: Clark at the five minutes, right? Like, I mean, from what I've gathered, they're, Clark they're was trying
2: great to, against. Yeah,
1: but but like Clark was great in the playoff series, but it's di- like when Adams is out, Clark is playing the five. Like if Cat and Gobert happen to be on the floor in those minutes, and it's like. Clark at the five and Aldama or whatever at the four like that, that should be it, it should be the inverse of, of last year's playoff series, right? Where the Wolves should be the significantly more physical team. They should be the team who creates the offensive rebounding problems, but that's the
2: opposite of last playoff series. The Grizzlies have a real size issue right now when Adams is not on the floor without Jaron and, and against Boston when they were both out for, due to injury, like it was a big problem, even though Boston's a smaller team. Um, you know, maybe 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 Tillman, who has not been good this year, but played a lot in that series, gets in the mix because they need the size.
1: I think you got to play X in, in this yeah. game. I mean, they're just the Wolves are big. If nothing else, they're big.
2: Uh, before we get to our final segment, uh, one more basketball thing we got. We can't get out of here without talking about our guy Slow Mo, Yeah, we love Kafka for life uh, here <laughs> in Memphis. He signed with Minnesota over the summer. He's missed some games for injury. His stat line is modest as it tends to be. Seems to me like he's been okay. I don't know. How, how's he been?
1: Yeah, so he, he played the first game of the season. You could tell like he just filled the gaps, did the little things that the Wolves aren't doing. Then he gets run into, has back spasm, miss, misses a handful of games. Then after that, he's on a minutes restriction. It's really just started to open up for him. And he's kind of been like Britt and I were sitting at the game yesterday. We're kind of like Kyle Anderson is Finch's binky right now. Where it's like things aren't going well. Like Whatever the rotation was, screw it. Put Kyle out there. And you're starting to see Kyle. I mean, Jaden McDaniels is starting, but when things aren't going well, Finch will go to Anderson more than McDaniels. He benched McDaniels two, three games ago for like almost the entirety of the second half and just went with and just went with Anderson. What what's interesting to me about Anderson, I think is really helpful, is he presents another ball handler for this group. And like I said, ball movement has been such a problem for this team. So just having another kind of ball mover, I think really helps in addition to. The you know just kind of playing the gaps that he does defensively though what I've noticed is when they're giving Kyle thirty minutes a night man the last like the last two minutes of each of his shifts are like slow slow mo like he he's 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 struggling to, to keep up with that I do think that's mostly a product of you know coming back from injury and all that he's been fun but it's really only been like these last two or three games um, that he's been impactful
2: right well we we. we... I, I think he's a good guy to have around, and we certainly wish him the best this season. I'll be interested to see him coming back to FedEx Forum on Friday night. Uh, if you're listening, you know these bonus pods we're doing this year are new to this year. And if you're listening to – this is, I think, the third one I've done. If you're listening to it for the first time, I'm doing something different, something I used to do on a previous podcast I did at a previous location, and I brought it back, and that is to end every pod with what I call the, the there's more to life than basketball Believe it or not Dane it's true. Segment of the pod <laughs> where I ask guests for a recommendation beyond the world of basketball, something they're into. It can be anything. It can be I don't know, movies, music, TV, food, books, exercise routines, comic strips, I don't care, anything in the world. Give us a recommendation. Yeah, I mean I I
1: am I am a major culprit of like not watching other movies and TV shows during basketball season because you know try and watch you know the rest of the league if the wolves aren't playing uh when i can so i was i was like embarrassed as i was thinking through this because you said it to me uh in in the outline but the one show that i have watched in in the since the season has been going is uh is inside man on on netflix it's uh what's that tucci guy's name he's the i put it um stanley tucci okay yeah uh and and it, it, was, it was a weird show, but I liked it. If you're kind of into, like, the murder-crime
2: drama so, sort of so thing. So, is this... I know that there's a show called Inside Man, but that's the extent of my knowledge. This is not based on the Spike Lee movie no. with Denzel Washington. No. Though, right? <laughs> no, it's Which not, is a good movie. It's a great movie. Uh, What's it? it? It's like...
1: Uh, so, it's this vicar. It's... I think it's um, in, I don't know, like, England or something. And... and and he just it's like one of those shows where like everything is going wrong and it just starts snowballing and you eventually get to this point of you're like do i have to kill somebody and and uh tucci is the is this guy on death row in jail who's like he's solving crimes from jail uh, because that's what he did before he got put on death row for committing murder himself so it's an interesting overall sort of setup it was like it's only four episodes and then it just kind of ends and you're like wait that feels like this should have been a four season show I don't even know if there's gonna be like I think there's gonna be a sequel to it I enjoyed it um but again it was this was mostly a reminder to me to like get a life outside of basketball when the season's going
2: all right we but this is not my recommendation but since we're talking about shows I, I'm currently. My wife and I are watching White Lotus week to week yep. on an HBO now, and we are catching up with Industry. We just started season two, which is now over. Also, another HBO show that I watched.
1: Kind of. I watched Industry that uh, this summer uh, a little bit. That was that was pretty good. And White Lotus, I've only watched the first. It's, it's totally new, right?
2: Like it, there's like yeah. one character that's carrying over. Well, Jennifer Coolidge just carried yeah. over. Other than otherwise, it's a brand new cast, brand new location. But those aren't my recommendations. Okay. Here's my recommendation. Since we got a Minnesota guest in Minnesota. Is close to my heart. I'm gonna do Minnesota specific here. So I'm a lifelong Prince fan. I was a lifelong Prince fan even before I moved to the Twin Cities when I was 18 years old and lived there for five years. My Prince fandom predates my time in Minnesota. I was impressed when going to games there in the playoffs last year. The use of the Prince music in Arena was exquisite. Like it was just right <laughs> in terms of how they use stuff. Um, with a little bit of um the when doves cry like sort of sort of throb at the right time and the let's go crazy with to start things off. It was great. When I was watching the game on League Pass last night, I noticed they were playing, I don't know if they do this every game, they were playing parts of America from around the world in a day, which is not even a particularly good Prince song and it's a real deep cut. Like <laughs> they were really going deep on that in Arena. So my recommendation is going to be, everyone knows Purple Rain, which is a great album. I'm not here to argue with Purple Rain. It is not, in my opinion, the best Prince album. So it, in case, just in case anyone listening to this has never heard the best Prince album, it is Side of the Times from 1987 Double album, deeply musical. Um, everything, everything that makes Prince Prince is all on that album, all cranked up to like ten. It is not only the best Prince album; it might just be my favorite album. Sign of the Times. If you haven't heard that, you got to go to wherever you listen to music and listen to that. You know this, right? Yeah,
1: that's a that's a way better recommendation than <laughs> than mine is. I'm also thinking about today. They, I'm sure the Grizzlies did too, like release their statement or city jerseys or how I don't. I get those all confused. The coolest jersey. Fun. It was the Prince jerseys that they did for those a few yeah. years ago. And these year, this year's are just like
2: Okay, uh, so they the don't Prince get. jerseys, everyone loves the Miami Vice jerseys of Miami. I and mean, I do too. Those are great. The Prince jerseys are the best ever city edition jerseys. Fire. For Minnesota Prince jerseys. What are the ones this year? What well, tell me, tell us about that. get out of here.
1: Yeah. They're they're not, they're not good. Uh it's like it's kind of like this like rainbow or it's just like a bunch of colors across the chest. And apparently it like grabs from wolves jerseys of the past. It's about like, I don't know. It's just like the, the whole thing is like, these jerseys are for you, Minneapolis. And right. like it, it taps it all. The, and the fans don't like them because they leaked before. And they come out today when the team is just at a major nadir. So I don't know. You'll see them. It, it's not a rainbow. It's it's it, so it isn't like a pride jersey, but it is very like multicolored in that sort of way. If I'm being honest, I don't even totally understand. What um, are they
2: going to do? The ratty flannel and denim replacement soul asylum tribute jerseys. That's what. I'll <laughs> That's hey, I'll take that, man. Is anything anything else? It, I I don't know. It
1: these jerseys are so hitman, like across the board, Minnesota or or otherwise, right? I feel like yeah. most teams, like the Prince, I'm, like the Wolves, have had the whole spectrum. Prince ones might be some of the best jerseys the wolves have ever had and then all right. the other ones have just been duds in in my opinion or i think the the fan
2: base's opinion but is it the same way with the grizzlies yeah so the ones they did last year everyone loved and they were um they were they were inspired by isaac hayes and stacks records and so it was like sort of gold gold accent for gold records and there was this black fabricy thing oh yeah i remember those rep- vinyl groove people really like those i did too They did one a few years ago that was supposed to be like influenced, which Minnesota could do this too if they wanted, supposed to be influenced by the professional wrestling sort of history of the region. And those were not particularly good or particularly popular. So it it, it goes both ways on that, definitely.
1: It does. And it's like, I I wonder if you're like sitting in the room and you're making these, like what you're, I mean, people in the room must be thinking like, oh, these are going to be awesome. I just. It is funny how like the ideas in our head do not often mirror the ideas of those uh, around us or consuming the product, but yeah, I
2: don't know. These, well, it's these like, ones aren't great. I like got to your process to create these things too. And right. so there's sort of that aspect of it. Um, this has been Dane Moore, of the Dane Moore NBA podcast. Um, you can find Dane, you can find your podcast, his podcast, anywhere you get your podcasts. You can follow Dane on Twitter at, at Dane Moore NBA. Is that right? Yes, sir. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Dane. It was good to talk to you again. Um, maybe we'll see each other in the playoffs. Uh, yeah, you know, we get get the Wolves on track for us to do that. I guess.
1: Yeah, I, I was planning on coming down for this for this game on Friday, but I'm just going to be traveling a lot for Thanksgiving. I, I you know, I, I love coming down to Memphis uh, for those games and, and you know catching up with all you guys. But I think I'll probably. I mean, they must play there in Memphis again sometime this season. So I'll get down there. I'll get down there for that one for sure, and we'll we'll catch up.
0: How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never
1: stop, yeah Green it hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let Santa ever ever bring you down, yeah Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah.